Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Uh, again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case this is your first time in uh, joining us here on Talent Talk, uh, give you a little explanation of how it works. Basically, we, we feature a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. So on this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First is it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. So hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings. And we really look to explore those two areas as best we can. My guests typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, uh, business coaches, authors, all sorts of uh, fascinating people. Generally what happens is I'm out at networking events or conferences and I have the privilege of meeting some of these truly inspiring leaders all the time. So instead of me cornering them and asking them a hundred questions and learning from them just me, I thought, hey, let's have a show, put them together, uh, and create a forum where you can listen in on our dialogue and hopefully get some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. So before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions uh, via Twitter. Just tweet them to at PeopleG2 and use that hashtag TalentTalk, all one word. My producer, Mike, can uh, feed me the best questions, and we can try to work them into the show. Also, feel free to send us any uh, suggestions, guest suggestions, uh, anything else that's on your mind. uh, We appreciate the feedback. Don't forget, you can also tune in uh, to hear the show via our podcast and also on iTunes and subscribe to have that weekly show sent to you. After our, uh, we had a really great guest on a couple weeks ago, Marshall Goldsmith, and uh, certainly a lot of his uh, listeners have now... uh, or his uh, audience came in. We went from, I think, 32, 33,000 up to now we're at 47,000 people who are actively getting our podcast every week. So those of you that are tuning in new now, or this is your, maybe your second show after hearing Marshall, uh, welcome back. So we really appreciate the support and those of you who are tuning in via the podcast as well. With that said, let's get today's show started. My uh, Guests today are Michael Brainerd, uh, owner of the Brainerd Strategy, and also uh, Rod Fewer, COO of Signpost. Uh, Rod will be joining me in the second half of the show, but now let's get to my first guest, Michael. So, uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and, of course, your company, uh, Brainerd Strategy. So, thanks for asking. I am an industrial and organizational psychologist by educational background. And throughout my career, I've gone from sort of the human and process side of consulting to corporate development and strategy. So I've kind of straddled those two worlds. Uh, I have a nine-year-old daughter, enjoy being outside, and uh, currently very, very busy growing our business. It's a good time for us. So thank you for asking. That's great. So you know, tell us a little bit about what does your company do and how are you helping people? So Brainerd Strategy has been around since 2003 and really got going in earnest in 2005. We effectively have three practice areas. Uh, The first is leadership development. 
um, the second being organizational strategy, and the third being sort of change management and helping clients go through large change initiatives as we're sort of organizational development uh, professionals. Specifically, what we hope to do is really work with leadership to provide an engaging and a very positive work experience for, for, for key contributors, whether we're doing that through our strategy work, our change work, or our leadership development work. Uh, you know, we all as adults spend a heck of a lot of time in the workplace, and there can be a great deal of sort of human potential that's untapped by great leadership and good sound strategies and good change processes. And, of course, the opposite is true, right, where we can uh, see a lot of value diminished as well. So we hope to help companies uh, really enable the workforce and the culture to really be unlocked. As an entrepreneur back in 2003 when you, you said you started the company, what, what were some of those biggest hurdles that you had to uh, you know, really deal with as you know, starting off and, and really getting your company going? Well, good question. I mean, I can go from personal to team to company on that one. So personally, you know, finding the courage, right? Many of us uh, think about going out on our own. It does take some level of courage. It takes quite a bit of support from my personal network, my family, friends, etc. But, uh, you know, you're, you're often, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, not aware of, of many of the little things, right? Death by a thousand paper cuts when you start a business. So mm -hmm. Personally, you know, I was probably not as prepared for the lack of support. I had always had that organizational support. As a team, uh, candidly, I probably thought I could do too much on my own. I did have a couple of people that came along with me, but uh, to quote, you know, Jim Collins, I, I was kind of an immature leader at the time, maybe thought myself, uh, not to say I'm a genius, but a genius with a thousand helpers was the mentality and I really had to grow my team and learn to uh, allow them to grow and not make myself the center of the business. And I hope that we've gotten through some of that. And, and I think organizationally and strategically, the biggest challenge was finding our place. I've been able to, in my career, do many, many things. But you can't run a business showing up in front of corporate clients that have a lot of sophistication uh, with a value proposition that says, hey, we can help you with a whole bunch of stuff, right? So refining our practice areas, packaging uh, the value proposition, and then delivering in narrow uh, practices and service lines was something that we continue to evolve towards. So maybe a little bit long-winded, but they've been some of the uh, – challenges that I hope we've gotten through and continue to wrestle with. Well, the first one was uh, one that I, I, I kind of see all the time with having that courage to do it. I, I Many times I've had people who are maybe kind of an, an interesting point in their careers or looking to, to pivot to something else or not sure what they want to do. And I tend to be recommending to them just to go be an entrepreneur, to go do it for themselves. And it, I sometimes forget when they're, they don't seem to jump at that one. <laughs> And it's that courage. It's that, you know, you have to, it's a lot easier just to work for somebody else and let them take the the risk and the and the pressures and all those other things. But uh, there's so many great rewards there for doing it yourself if you can get through that death by, you know, thousand paper cuts that you mentioned. Yeah, I think it's, a it's, you know, that courage and that self-confidence and, and also having the humility to realize that, you know, while you may feel you're alone, uh, one of the worst things you can do is actually act alone, right? Building that good network of supporters around you is a critical first step for most entrepreneurs. Yeah, and I think you have to kind of know maybe know yourself 
to a certain extent, uh, maybe be a little more introspective, maybe be able to admit to yourself the areas where you're not so good at. And sometimes I think that maybe stops people from, from taking that leap as well because they don't want to have to face some of those things and admit, I'm not good at this, I'm going to have to find someone else who is, or I'm not, you know, this is not something I like to do, I'm going to have to tell them how to do it better. It's a lot easier to, like I said, get hired somewhere else for a particular job and a particular skill set and just focus on that. And I think sometimes as entrepreneurs we have to, it's almost like you have to be your own psychiatrist or psychologist sometimes, right? <laughs> got to coach yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, because no one else is going to do it. I mean, you can pay someone a lot of money to do it, but <laughs> you know, if you had a lot of money, you, you wouldn't need any help, right? That's right. <laughs> well said. I know this year your company was recognized with uh, Leadership 500 Excellence Awards. I, I think my company, I think we were on that, that list as well with you guys. But um, with all the factors for success that you attribute to this and other awards that, you know, kind of are in the, the same sort of area, you know, wh- what do you think this really kind of means over the years for your company? If you look at the different awards, the different things that you get, what does that really mean for you as a company as you continue to mature? Well, I'll say two things. We've had our corporate clients who who have continued to to engage us. Sometimes, you know, say to us, "Hey, you're the best kept secret um, around, right? You do wonderful stuff. You're sort of a tier one consulting partner, uh, but I don't see your name on golf bags when I watch the PGA Tour on Sunday, right?" So. Right. Uh, you know, it's been an external validation. There's there's many awards out there, candidly, you can buy your way into or mm-hmm. buy an advertisement in the right magazine. In, in, in HR.com's case, we certainly did not do that, and they, they actually reached out and spoke to our partners and our customers in, in many cases, as you know, if you've been through it. So what was interesting for me is we didn't sort of buy our way into this. It wasn't a pay-to-play. It, in fact, it seemed that they got external validation from our marketplace for that validation, uh, I'm just incredibly grateful, right? So we think we're doing good work. Our clients continue to use us. And when an external third party looks at our work, looks at our partners, looks at who we are and says, hey, you know, you're doing it right, that's, uh, that's pretty validating, right? So uh, it's encouraging. It's validating. And we've got many long nights and weekends that we put in doing this work. So every now and again, Tipping a tipping a glass of wine and and, and uh, acknowledging what we've done is is a healthy thing. So that gave us the opportunity, I think, most importantly, to share that success with our clients and with our employees. And and to our employees, I know it meant probably a whole lot more to them than it did to me. So it was pretty uh, pretty validating, I guess, is the best uh, summary for that. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think are some of the factors that? you know, for success that you really attribute to, to getting the awards? I mean, how, how, what are some of those things that you that you think you're doing that, like you said, they, they think you're a tier one, you know, type of a consulting firm? So what, what do you think some of those, those things are? I can give you, you know, a pretty firm answer, um, at least. You know, my answer goes to our core values, right? The first one is we don't show up as a consulting firm as a guru. We are not, uh, whether we're bright and know our stuff or not is interesting, but I'm not going to show up and tell my very smart corporate clients that I'm even smarter. I'm not going to try to convince anybody of that. We as a team have a value of, you know, the pursuit of knowledge, right, and respectful candor. So we're going to partner with our clients and we're going to lead them along. So I think that we are pursuing a better mousetrap in each situation we approach, whether it's designing a leadership program 
for a corporate client, whether it's putting together a four-day strategic offsite or, or developing a six-month you know, strategic planning engagement, we come from the position of we know the process of these things incredibly well, but it's your company, your culture, your talent. So I hope that that primary value of partnering and being in the pursuit of the best information and knowledge and wisdom is what we continue to do. I, I just can't show up as the expert. I, I won't allow our firm to do it. I won't allow our consultants to do it. And I think that gives the client the outcome or the experience of having client centricity. Uh, their answer is as important as any answer. And so when we can customize our solutions and truly, in a, in a true sense, partner, I hope that uh, that's something that we will retain, and I hope it's something that leads to our success, candidly, and I think it does. Yeah. So over the last you know, 11 years, you, you've definitely seen some companies deal with a lot of ups and downs. And when you think back to the recent recession over the last you know, few years, were there patterns that you saw in businesses that were working and, and with, with as many that struggled to figure out you know, how to kind of move forward? Well, I, I think there's two there's two patterns that I can identify. One, we go back to this courage thing. I think that I, I really do believe that the amount of media not only impacts us as individuals, but it impacts corporate behavior. And, and what I mean to say that by that is, many of our clients became paralyzed, and that's not a negative or a positive. But their decision making process is ground to a halt with the excuse of or the real experience of, hey, I don't know where we're headed here. I don't know if we're headed for a three-year recession. This is going to end in two months. And that uncertainty in the macro economy enabled, I think, people to sort of pucker and get stuck and not attend to their flywheel or not attend to their day-to-day -day operations, not attend to good planning. And, and, and very candidly, I think the macro economy and the media and the hype around it really caused a stalemate in many, many, many cases. And the pattern of lack of decision-making processes or lack of the, the sort of courage or, or independence to step forward, that was a dominant theme. That was a, this hold and wait sort of, I think it set businesses back. I really do. And I think, you know, there's just so much more media, doom and gloom media, um, even today. I mean, our experience of the economy, the data that we look at suggests that the economy is growing at a pretty healthy rate, but depending on the media outlet you, you get your information from, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of skepticism out there. And while we can be skeptical and probably very good and for very for, for good reasons, we cannot enable stalemate in decision-making. The, the pace of the economy is moving such that when we slow, and those around us don't. Uh, we're in big trouble. So I think the dominant pattern I saw was this slowness in decision-making, this sort of hesitation, and it just, uh, I think it diminished a great deal of value, and I think a lot of people put their own fate in the hands of the macro economy, or at least enabled that to become an excuse. And, and I saw the clients that we had that could charge through that, make rigorous decisions, take action, course-correct, these are the businesses that were well prepared coming out the backside of the recession. And I've got two or three very specific examples in industries you would not even believe where that growth trajectory was able to hit as soon as that external market loosened for them. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a pretty 
interesting uh, way like you said when you hit that recession and then a lot of people just kind of stop doing things and right. with its courage or what have you I remember having this argument with my staff I, when the things really hit hard and we were looking at ways of saving money but at the same time I was saying I think we need to start spending some money in other ways and they were looking at me like I was crazy and I said if no one else is doing the advertising if they've all pulled out of all these things. I said, don't you think we can get some great deals? <laughs> and now we can suddenly be in these places that we couldn't be in before or we couldn't afford to be in before. And, you know, I said, you know, this is, could be an opportunity for us. And, and when we found some good little pockets where it was. Um, but it, it took that courage because it was, you know, everyone was, let's just hide the money under the under the mattress and, <laughs> and wait until, you know, it stops raining, which, you know. To your point, when do you know when that is? Because it really sold a lot of newspapers and magazines to keep telling you how bad everything is. And we were really seeing a change, you know, a long time before the media started talking about maybe it's gotten a little bit better. You know, because we deal with people are doing with hiring. So we were seeing an increase in hiring. We could almost sense the the, the change happening uh, realistically, but, you know, perception-wise, it was nowhere near there. Yeah, Yeah, I think you and I share that experience. I, I I just find that... You know, decision makers in corporate environments really have to trust their own information, trust their own marketplace, and trust their own decision making. But this sort of general cap that sits over this, that's sort of fueled by large media outlets, you know, it, it makes it difficult. It, it creates a pause or a hesitation, and uh, that that trend or that pattern of those who could work with that in an, in an analytical and rigorous way were well positioned when their markets began to recover to to be the early the early succeeders coming out of that. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, in looking a little bit deeper in, into some of the inner workings of what you guys do, I'm wondering how do you encourage companies to really evaluate their own success? Well, again, a really good question, right? Evaluating performance is one way to look at it, but another lens is how are we being successful? What are we measuring? What are we doing? And I guess in a simple term, uh, I would I would encourage companies to, to build their own T-chart, and that's sort of my own language for keeping it simple. On one side of the T-chart, you have external indicators of success that are fairly obvious, whether it's revenue or earnings per share, whatever your financial indicators of success, share, volume, all the traditional ones, and, and, and at the same time, be measuring and correlating internal factors of success. Internal factors of success, to me, equate to sustainability. So if our employees are engaged, if our leaders are retaining or being retained and developing themselves, if our productivity and operating efficiency metrics are moving in the right direction, whether it's operating efficiency or human capital and the engagement of that capital, when we can indicate and find areas of opportunity and then somehow, whether it's analytically or whether it's anecdotally, relating those internal successes to our market successes and we can build our own T-chart, I, I just find there's a great deal of power. It, it leads to a story. It leads to the CEO being able to authentically talk to the workforce and customers in very similar terms, right? We can begin to think about our success very plainly from the key indicators of success that are traditional and external and also from some of the more non-traditional engagement, leader engagement, retention of key talent, deployment of talent. We can, when we can align those metrics, now we can talk about a story that, that has some legs, whether it's for recruiting or attracting new customers. 
many of our clients want to work with successful firms themselves. So the example is if we don't have good internal success metrics and we can't tell our story, most likely our clients won't won't want to partner with us. So I think bringing this T-chart together and telling stories around that is a wonderful way to begin to measure and, and communicate success. Yeah, it, you know, it, it really can. Uh, I think you, you hit on something really interesting about having those, those big discussions on what are you really, uh, you know, using to evaluate success. What are the things that you're really measuring? You can say, are we profitable? Are we making money? And those are really important things. Um, but sometimes a company can be doing that and also failing in so many ways right. that after a period of time, then they say, well, why aren't we making any money? Why aren't we profitable? Well, it's because you've been failing in all these other areas for so long that you've now you know, kind of broken the system, broken the company to the point that you may not be able to recover because you got lucky and got a big client or right. you were in the right market at the right time, the right space, or what have you. So uh, those are those are some really important and fascinating things that we often see that companies don't pay attention to, especially if the most obvious, you know, success factors are doing well. Yeah, that's right. So the most commonly referred to as the dot-com syndrome, right? So right. I cashed out for a billion at the, in 2001, so I'm the smartest guy and the most successful guy in the room. Well, in fact, it's not sustainable, and it doesn't lead, lead to real success. It, I, what harkens for me is Wooden's quote, right? Do you want to succeed or do you want to win? Well, obviously I want to do both, but winning in and of itself does not indicate success, right? You can have a poor golf swing and, and make a hole-in-one. So this idea of aligning those internal success metrics and the sustainability metrics with some external indicators of success, I think you get a fuller picture and certainly one that's more engaging to, to a pending workforce. One of the things that I uh, often uh, talk about or uh, do some, some work with uh, as well is, is around the idea of, of company culture. And we like to think we have a kind of a unique one, and so we, we kind of like to share that and talk about that. And so I'd love to get uh, other professionals out there, their kind of opinions about company culture. And so I'm wondering how you see the alignment uh, of culture as it relates to success within the companies that you're working with and, of course, within your own company as well. How well do those two things, you know, correlate? Are they are they independent? Are they really connected? I and mean, where where do you see that sitting? Well, I think your early point. I think the first and most dominant answer is it depends. I, I, again, culture. Edgar Schein, sort of the godfather of culture, defines it as uh, very technically here, right? The way things get done around here as being the best definition of culture. And I'll go back to the the baseball bat swing or the golfer swing or, or even the episodic nature of the dot-com phenomenon, you know, a culture that is toxic and a culture that is not helpful and a culture that is internally competitive, they can produce great short-term wins. And I, and I don't think any management consultant worth their salt can make a one-for-one -one correlation between the effectiveness or the efficiency of culture with external Metrics. There are many examples of where companies get get in their way a lot, but they have a wonderful market opportunity. So, what I think about is I think the sustainability. So, in my own company, I think about our vision for success. Our vision for success is to be the tier one provider of the three practices we provide in the Western United States. I can't do that if we don't walk the walk, walk the talk, or whatever the phrase is on leadership, as an example. Right? I can't tell clients about the importance of coaching and feedback and have my consultants and employees not see that internally, right? So 
that alignment, the alignment between how we behave internally and how we show up in the marketplace, whether you're a branded product company like Procter & Gamble or Conagra, or you're a service provider like your company or mine, the alignment of our internal, the way things get done, and the way we interact with clients will show itself over time. So mm-hmm. while there may be some short-term you know, lack of correlation, you look at sustainable, high-performing companies, and they're constantly concerned with how they're going to enhance their cultural experience for their key talent. Because as we come out of this recession, again, another good example of where the media leads us wrong is the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate in the general economy is right around 6%. However, if you have a bachelor's degree or an advanced degree, the unemployment rate is below the natural rate, which is 5%, certainly in California. So employees and leaders are more portable today, and they will seek cultures that uh, satisfy elements of their life in ways they weren't doing three years ago. So I think it's critically important and will continue to be important as the economy improves. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There are a lot of companies and individuals that are in the consulting and coaching businesses. What what kind of makes your, your company unique or different in that area? <laughs> this is the uh, oddest answer I'll give you, Chris. So uh, I think what makes us unique is that we sit in the middle. So how often do you hear sitting in the middle makes you unique? So what do I mean by that? There are many dozens in Southern California of very competent single professionals who have a very fine Rolodex and practice coaching or leadership services or strategic facilitation. Many of those types of people. Um, There are also several, maybe a handful, of the Towers Watsons of the world, the Mercers of the world, or even the the Deloitte's of the world, excuse me. Our firm sits in the middle. There are very few firms that we know of that serve very large organizations and have the scale to do so, and yet can bring that single practitioner customer experience. So when clients like Standard Pacific Homes or Experian or Allergan want to talk with a partner about an organizational design issue or strategy issue, they pick up the phone and call my cell phone. And we can be as available and as responsive as a firm of 11 or 12 people to do that. We are uh, able to scale with our technology platforms. We have codified offerings. We have a network of consultants nationally. So at times we can compete with the big fellows, and at times we offer scale and leverage maybe that single practitioners can't offer. So what I'm finding is that our clients value sort of this mid-size, mid-size capability, mid-size relationship angle that we're able to bring. So it may be a less sexy answer than I'd like to give, but I think our size, our scale, our codified offerings offer us some uniqueness in the marketplace. I could maybe take a more pompous approach to that answer and say we're pretty damn good at what we do, but I won't. I think that's our primary differentiator. I loved your answer, and I think you just rewrote my elevator pitch, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'll repeat it if you like. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, one of the questions we always like to answer, uh, and answer, uh, ask our guests uh, is, uh, what are you reading right now, and can you tell us about that book or books? So I just picked up the snowball. I'm not a big uh, 
sort of hero worshiper, but I am interested in, in, in Buffett's life, so I haven't started that yet, but I just picked it up this weekend. The one that I think I've looked at most recently, so I'll preface my answer by giving you a little bit of my personality. I don't believe much really good has been written in the leadership development space in the past decade. I mean, there's a lot written, but there's not a lot of really good stuff written. Right. I did pick up a pretty pragmatic book a couple of weeks ago called The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make. Um, the author, I believe, is Finzel, uh, F-I-N-Z-E-L, but very, very pragmatic, right? And, it, and I like it because in corporate training and corporate learning and development, we're often saying, here's the model of great, go ahead and do that or be like this. And I find that impractical at times, and, and I find that adults, you know, there's no gap there, there's no urgency, there's no stress, there's no, there's no void to fill in that learning approach. When you can take a, a deeply entrenched leader who's developed practices over years and talk to them about how some of their practices don't work, and one of the things they can hook into is, is self-critique and self-evaluation, that's pretty cool. And so this book reminded me that you know we all make really well-intended mistakes as leaders and i think to be able to add that to my own lexicon and practicing uh, my practice of executive coaching and leader development it's very helpful as an example you know we're not intending to be task focused but all of us get on that treadmill and we can be task focused over relationship focused and the implications of that over some short period of time can be pretty detrimental to our leadership credibility. So this book reminds me of tips like that coming from more of the critical or negative perspective than the up with people and be like me kind of book, which there's about a billion of and sure. I don't find very helpful. Well, it sounds like a great book. Uh, listeners, I'm sure, will want to check out. Um, how can people reach uh, you or learn more about your company if they're interested in, in, in what you guys are doing? Well, thank you for asking. It's uh, quite simple. It's BrainerdStrategy.com, BrainerdStrategy.com. We're in Carlsbad, 760-438-8230. But we do our very best to keep our website up to date and fresh, and we try to offer materials and models and things for clients. So that would be the best way. Well, Michael, it's been a real pleasure having you on the Talent Talk radio show today. Uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on uh, what you're doing and how things are going. I look forward to it. Thank you very much for your questions and your insights, and I wish you all the best. All right. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Rod uh, Foyer is uh, coming up next after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results, a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. 
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to all of our past shows by either visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab, or you can go to talenttalkradio.com, and all the shows are there are listed as well. Uh, unfortunately, my picture is there about 100 times because of each time they post a different show, but if you can get past that, uh, you can still listen to some great shows. So... Uh, in the short time that we have existed, it's just been over a year now, uh, we've amassed a huge following, and that's, uh, thanks to all of our great listeners out there. We really appreciate you. My next guest is uh, Rod Foyer. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly, the COO of uh, Signpost. Don't forget to tweet your questions live to him right now uh, by sending them to at PeopleG2 and using that hashtag, Talent Talk. So, Rod, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, did I say your last name correctly? You got it. Appreciate it. Okay, good, because uh, I have a really bad habit of saying people's names wrong. I think if I had someone with the last name of Smith, I would probably say Smythe or something, and so I'm always a little neurotic about getting it right. Uh, So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, background about your company, uh, Signpost. Sure. So uh, I've been in the online marketing space for about five years now, Uh, started off managing uh, an SEO business. Uh, I then went to go work for um, work in the ad tech industry for a few years, for one for a company called AppNexus, uh, and then for a company called Magnetic, um, both of which are in the uh, in the uh, display ad tech world, and then joined Signpost about six or seven months ago. Signpost as a company, uh, we are uh, a marketing automation solution for small business. Uh, we essentially focus on the, uh, the most important marketing essentials for a small business to both win new customers and maintain and grow existing customers. Well, it sounds like, uh, and you said your focus is really in that uh, for small businesses. That's right. So Signpost was named as one of America's most promising companies by Forbes. Uh, that's great. Congratulations. Um, maybe you can talk a little about why you think uh, this company has been able to achieve that kind of recognition already. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I think first, our, our product positioning is, is superb. As I mentioned before, we offer marketing essentials, the things that matter most to small businesses. There are lots of other businesses out there trying to serve small businesses um, that have them do things like pay-per-click advertising uh, and other what I would call high-cost uh, high marketing. And the economics just a lot of times don't work out for, for small and medium businesses. The cost per acquisition for new customers is too high. Uh, and our approach is to have a much more ROI-focused acquisition methodology. And we also automate that. So small and medium businesses, they want to spend as much time as possible with their customers uh, and not spending a lot of time behind the, behind the wheel, so to speak, playing with different marketing levers. And so we automate a lot of what we do to give them more and more time to spend with their clients. So I think our, our, our product positioning is, is superb. And I think the second thing is, because of our product positioning, uh, we've been able to scale quite successfully. So, you know, about this time last year, we had roughly, you know, 50 employees or so, and now we're running at about, uh, you know, almost 200, uh, and our revenue has scaled in line with those, if not better. So I think it's a combination of superb product and ability to scale effectively. 
as the COO of Signpost, one of the main functions is that really facilitate that strategic planning process. So uh, what role does recruiting and talent development and, you know, succession planning, those types of things have in really ensuring a strong strategic plan within your company? Um, it, it's the most important part. Uh, I've now worked for, you know, had the good fortune of working for several high-growth companies, and people is the biggest factor in, in growth, right? We're, we're in, the, in, the, in the human capital business. We spend a lot of time uh, talking about who's the target profile for what we're trying to hire. And at Signpost, we have very, very clear values. Um, and just to kind of, kind of walk through those, you know, we focus on impact. We act like owners. Uh, we make our own luck, and, and we're all about teamwork. You know, our, our team wins. And, you know, we want to make sure that the people that we hire embody those values because we have a very high-performance culture. Uh, and so once we, once we figure out who we're looking for, we design a target spec, and we make sure that the people have these values. And then from there, you know, it, hiring, when you're growing quickly, it has to become uh, mechanized. So there has to be a kind of a, a funnel approach to it, particularly as you're growing sales and we have a very large growing sales team. You find target profile. We then have to make sure we, we know how to source them. So it's a combination of, uh, you know, outbound calls, finding the right sites to pull people in. Uh, and then we have to make sure that we can evaluate them objectively. So we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, refining our interview process, using some objective testing methodologies to make sure that we're making the best decisions. And then once we get them in the door, then we have to invest even more, right? So training is really important. And at Signpost, we've invested a lot in training over the last 12 months uh, to make sure that the people we hire have the highest chance of, of succeeding. Uh, and then the final piece is, you know, to keep people long term, you have to make sure that, that your company is the best place to work. And once again, you know, we've been investing a lot in, uh, in, our, in our real estate and our space to make it a, a great place to go to work every day. We have a lot uh, of events for team building and to get the offices to bond with, with one another. And we've also been investing a lot in learning. So I think employees, when you get to work for a high growth company, they're in it to learn as much as they can. And Signpost is increasingly finding ways for the executive team and others to come in and give, and, and, and give talks about how to start a business and, and, uh, and what it's like to build a product and things like that, which all go a long way in terms of building a, uh, a robust recruiting funnel, but more importantly, building a human capital base that wants to stick around and grow with the company. Right. Is that helpful? Oh, yeah, definitely. I certainly understand. And, and it's got to be a challenge. Um, you know, everyone wants to be the one of the best places to work, and everyone wants to have these things and you know, have the best people come in there. But it's, it can be competitive. And, you know, as a technology company in the market that you're in, you, you guys continue to be saturated with a lot of other startups and companies that even while you're having your own continued growth. So how do you think that Signpost really, you know, stays ahead of the game in your own marketing strategies then to make sure that you're letting everyone know about all those great things that you just mentioned? It is tough, right? I mean, a lot of companies that, that you see on LinkedIn, they're always posting pictures of, you know, we have a great place to work. Here's some pictures from, from an event. I think it's really understanding and communicating to, to the market your values. I mean, people always talk about culture being a differentiator and a signpost. I really believe that, you know, Stu, when he first started, I joined Signpost because of the, of the core values. In fact, uh, I went to the site the, the, the evening after I spoke with Stu for the first time, and the fact that the core values that he had written down on the homepage were, were, were very similar to my own core values, that's what attracted me. So I think it's communicating your core values and finding ways to express those, um, whether you have meetups at your, at your office, which we've done in New York and Denver and Austin, uh, and in finding other ways to, to communicate that message to, to potential employees. I think, you know, when you're a startup and you're going quickly, I think that in and of itself is very attractive. And 
some startups have varying growth at different times, and at Signpost, we've been lucky to have continued and sustainable growth, and I think that's also a, a, a differentiator. So being able to grow quickly over a short period of time is great, but being able to do it over several years, which Signpost has done, uh, I think sets it apart as well. Yeah. Well, and you've, you've brought up your culture a few times, and you, you talked about a few interesting things about you mentioned teamwork, how your teams always win. And so, I mean, sometimes culture can really drag a company down, and sometimes it can really take it to the next level. So maybe you could talk a little bit deeper about some of those things outside of the maybe the, the values you mentioned, but some of those other things you mentioned quickly that seem pretty important to what you're talking about. You know, as I've seen companies scale, I think what makes them successful in, in maintaining culture as they get bigger and bigger uh, is that they find a way to, to maintain the rituals that they had in place before. So, for example, uh, in our New York office, we, we recently moved. We, we, we moved into a bigger space. It's a much nicer space. But in the process of moving, right, we actually, by accident, stopped doing one of those rituals that we used to do, which was to share and, and uh, we used to have an article of the day. Uh, and uh, when that piece of culture left, something changed. And so, thankfully, you know, one of our values is to act like owners. Several, several veteran salespeople have got together and kind of mentioned to management, you know, we, we used to do this particular thing. It really brought the reps together. It kind of brought the whole floor together, and we, we missed doing that. Can, can we bring that back? Uh, and, and, and we did. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's those little things that can go a long way uh, to, to maintaining those, to keeping what used to make you special, even more special as a smaller company, and, and, and helping you keep it special as you grow. One other example, uh, at a company called AppNexus, they've got something called Razzle Dazzle, which they started when they were um, in, in their infancy, where once a week somebody would present something new and exciting about what the company's doing. Uh, and as the company's grown to over 600 people now, they actually have a huge razzle-dazzle space in their corporate headquarters in New York. So even though they've grown, you know, several fold in the last, you know, you know, five or six years, they've made sure they found ways to keep those special things that when they first started out, those special pieces of culture, they, they made sure that they, they stick around even when they're, when they're bigger. Something, a little light went on in my head when you mentioned, the, you know, that, that article of the day thing cause, and, and how people kind of really wanted to keep that. We do kind of heard of this from another CEO that it, sending out a quote of the day to everyone in the staff. So it helps me stay connected to the staff because I don't see them every day. Um, and they kind of get, you know, it's just a general quote. It's just something inspiring it'd be about different things. But there are days that I'm not in the office or I may be traveling or what have you. I will literally get complaints from people or, or people will send me emails. What happened to the quote today? You know, if I don't send it out, if it doesn't go out that day, I actually have people who will miss it and who want that to be a part of you know, that they get used to having. It's just a part of our, our culture, just, you know, learn something new, be inspired some other way, you know. And, and so it's, it's really cool that, that they got together and asked, you know, to kind of bring it back and, and to keep it a part of your process because that, that really that shows some, something special about what you guys are doing there if they felt had the responsibility to take ownership of it, to bring it back, and to also, you know, communicate that, and you guys listened. Yeah, and there's, there's one other important point, and I'm going to build off of, off of what you said, which is I think – Having the executive team spend a lot of time at the front line, I think it's very easy for, as teams start to grow and people get busy, to kind of lose touch, kind of lose the feel of the road. Mm -hmm. uh, and listen, every time, you know, we've got three offices, one in Austin, one in Denver, and one in New York. And every time someone from, from the executive team visits and gives a short presentation or just takes certain people out to coffee, it, it just has a huge ROI for, for morale. And, and more importantly, you know, executives need to keep their, you know, keep their feet on the ground and understand, you know, get feedback from the front line because there's always things that you start to miss as, as you add layers to the organization. So I think, um, you know, the fact that, that, that you know, your, 
your quote of the day is your way to kind of uh, stay close to the front line. Um, you know, we always try and find ways to, to do that here at Signpost as well, and it goes a long, long way. Yeah, definitely. Growing, you guys are in three different offices and uh, have a lot going on. So how do you feel like Signpost really evaluates success for your company? Yeah, we are a very data-driven company. Uh, in fact, when I came on board in January, that was sort of one of my major mandates was um, to really build on our infrastructure and really get more and more data to help us make better decisions. So we, we have our kind of seven core KPIs that we use to, to, to manage the business. We've, we've communicated them with the entire company. Um, we're managing to them on a you know, weekly and monthly basis. That's what we communicate to the board. So we are very, you know, as I said before, one of our values is to focus on impact. And, you know, we are, uh, we have several different initiatives focused on each of our core metrics that drive success for the business. Uh, and in doing that, it helps you help us keep, keep our eye on the ball and making sure that we're not spending, spending time on things that don't deliver in ROI. So that's really how we, uh, in a nutshell, that's how we, that's how we do it. Really, really using data to, to drive our decisions and to provide visibility and accountability. Right. Uh, I know you've only been with this organization for since January, but obviously you've, you've, you've been in business for a while. So I, I'm wondering if you feel like you've changed as a leader over time or if, and maybe what kind of brought about those changes, if you feel like you've, you've evolved, you know, from the time you had your first kind of leadership position till today. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing I've learned the most, uh, and I've heard this from several really successful CEOs, is, um, you know, business is really simple, right? It's um, you, you hire the right people. Right, and, and we talked about it earlier, and that's very, very, very important. And once you've got them on board, right, you, you want to give them the right goals with the right incentives and then let them run with it, right? My, I feel like my job is to – I think when I was younger, I think my thought was I'm the leader. Business is a very top-down process. You know, I set goals or, you know, and then I hand them down uh, and then people go execute. And the reality is it's, it's, it's the other way around, right? You've got a really talented group of people. Uh, who are great at doing lots of different things, and all you need to do is make sure that they've got the right goals and that they're incentivized in the right way, and they're going to do some really great things, right? And and my job is to support them and make sure that they make the right decisions on, on a consistent basis. So if anything, it's like, you know, servant leadership is actually what I've, what I've learned about. I, I really appreciate that philosophy, and, and the feedback I get from the people that I work with has been, you know, they appreciate having that autonomy, uh, and um, it really helps them grow and, and, and take on more responsibility. So that's how I've changed the most, I think. Oh, that's great. One of our, our favorite questions to ask our guests is uh, about what they might be reading right now. So I'm wondering if there's a book or, or two that you may be reading now or just recently finished that you might uh, share with us. Yeah, there's, there's a couple. You know, recently read a book by Ben Horowitz. I think a lot of people have heard of, you know, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which is, you know, all about his experience as, as an entrepreneur and the lessons he learned through, through some great stories. Uh, and, and I think, um, you know, one of my favorite parts of that book was uh, it's a very short chapter. I think it's two pages, <laughs> and it's called Nobody Cares. Uh, and it basically, you know, says that once, you, once you're a senior executive, right, one of the, the truths is, it's all about results, right? Um, it's not about excuses. Uh, and, and even if there's a good excuse, it almost doesn't matter. So uh, it, it's really a helpful way to think about it. You know, whenever we go talk to our, to our board, you know, they've got a bunch of other companies they're managing and, they're, and they, they, they have high expectations and we have high, high expectations of ourselves. Uh, and so um, if something didn't go, go right, like no one's going to care about your excuse. They just care that you're going to go fix it. So there are several other good, good anecdotes and stories there, but that, re that resonated with me. Um, the other book that I recommend all the time is a book called Drive. Uh, it's uh, by Dan Pink. It's one of my all-time favorites. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about how to motivate people. 
uh, motivation 3.0 is, is what they call it. And the three points are people like autonomy, which we, we just talked about a second ago. They don't like to be micromanaged. Um, they like the, 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 the journey of mastery. So, you know, if you're training for a marathon, a lot of times the training itself is where people get the most enjoyment. And then after they run the, you know, running the marathon itself is kind of like the afterthought because it's, it's the challenge of being able to do something. It's not just about the outcome. It's the journey there. And then finally, making sure that um, what you're doing that has purpose, at least a purpose that aligns with your core values. Um, and those are three things that um, I have lots of conversations with people that I work with about those three things, and I think they help me be a better manager uh, accordingly. Um, we've talked about those three things on this show probably about uh, once every other week or at least twice a month or so. So I'm so glad to hear that that's something that you're really tuned into. That's uh, fantastic to know about your company as well because we, we really believe on that. We, we So many of the great people we've had on this show uh, seem to believe in that as well. Uh, and I, I run into so many times that people say, well, can't we just, you know, give him an extra five bucks or can't we just give him a commission to make him do this? And, you know, you just slow him down and go, that probably won't work. <laughs> there are exceptions. There are a few people out there in the world, but really what they need is that autonomy to their job, the mastery component and the purpose component. If you really want people to be happy, to work hard and to, 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 to succeed and, you know, even outperform or outdo what, what you expect of them. So uh, that's great. Well, uh, you know, it's just about all the time that we have uh, for today. I want to make sure if anyone's interested in learning more about your company and what you guys do, I, I know I'm going to certainly be checking you out later on when I get back to the office. Uh, uh, how can they uh, reach out to you or find out more about your company? Sure. Our website's pretty simple. It's, you know, www.signpost.com. It's the best place to go. Uh, and uh, my email is just my first initial R, uh, last name is spelled F as in Frank, E-U-E-R at signpost.com. Watching your company, seeing how you guys are doing, and we'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update and uh, let us know uh, what you're up to. Enjoy speaking with you, too, and, uh, and I hope I get a chance to come back. All right. Thank you for being my guest today, and thank you, all, though, all of you, for uh, turning, tuning in today. Um, it's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to Michael Brainerd and, of course, to, to Rod uh, Foyer. Hopefully I said his name there again correctly. And uh, tune in next week at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will have uh, Dean Manzuri. He's the VP of Global Cloud Communications at uh, Macergy. And uh, Cheryl Petrush. Petrash, excuse me, uh, director and uh, HR and training at uh, Springboard. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G Two.